We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. No Chris Biederman today. He is on assignment down in South Beach. Yeah, he took his talents to South Beach. That's fine. Uh, left me alone in the cold uh, during the bye week leading up to the Super Bowl. It's fine. I totally get it. Uh, it's funny because I was just on vacation in the week leading up to the NFC title game. So me giving him crap for <laughs> doing his job is funny. Anyways, um, so I was going to fly solo. And then I went, you know what? I'm going to hit up uh, one of my buddies, Evan Giddings. Evan is a host at 95.7 The Game. He does Warriors this week. He does Warriors wrap-up. He does 49ers pregame stuff. He is a host and producer uh, at Steiny and Guru. You can listen to that show from 10 a.m. to 2 on 95.7 The Game. Uh, he does such a great job, and he is one of the most talented people uh, I've ever been around. And uh, one of those people that's like frustratingly talented. Like when you just talk to him, you're like, damn, you're really, really good at this. Um, but I sat next to him at the NFC Championship game, and you'll hear us talk about that. We, uh, it, it was it was a really, really fun time talking football with him uh, and getting his thoughts on just kind of a historic NFL game as it was happening and and making jokes in the press box with him was was so much fun. And I said, hey, he, I should get him on the podcast. And he was super nice to uh, to pop on last minute and uh give us a bunch of his time so before we dive into that uh let me tell you about our buddies over at lamb chops sglambchops.com is the website hoodies sweatpants there's an atmospheric river coming if you live in northern california um so it's a good time to get a hoodie and sweats curl up on the couch and stay inside and not get wet so go to sglambchops.com right now Use promo code CANDLESTICK20 and deck yourself out in the most comfortable, most high-quality, most fashionable clothing that is in uh, my closet and can be in your closet as well. SGLambShops.com is the website. CANDLESTICK20 is the promo code for 20% off your order. Also, follow them on Instagram at SGLambShops and join the herd today. We're also sponsored by Cooper's Brewing. Cooper's Brewing is, I've always wanted to have a favorite brewery, and now I have one. Uh, everything they make is delightful from their uh, Sparkle Pants Ciders to Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA, which is the best hazy. And I don't just say that because it's a beer named after our podcast. I say that because I'm not, I'm not usually a huge fan of hazies, but 
I think Candlestick Chronicles is so tasty and so drinkable. And that is the hallmark of a Cooperage beer, man. They all taste good. They're all drinkable. They do uh, Keg Slayer, which is uh, my set. I call it my 1B favorite beer behind Candlestick Chronicles because Candlestick Chronicles has has my name on it, frankly. So so, uh, it is your favorite brewery's favorite brewery. And you can head there. It's in Santa Rosa. They always have a bomb-ass food truck out there. They have great beer, great vibes. They had an NFC title game watch party that that looked off the chain. Um, and if you go there and you like the beer, or maybe you've had it before, maybe you want to try it and you're not in proximity to Santa Rosa, you can go to cooperagebrewing.com today. If you're 21 and over and in the state of California and you can order a case, you can order a mix and match case so you can try a bunch of stuff. Or maybe there's one you know you like. Maybe you're like, you know what? I loved that Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA and I want 24 of them things. You can order a full case if you're 21 and over and in the state of California. They will ship it right to your front door. You sign for it and then you didn't have to leave your house and there's 24 beers in your fridge. It's the very, very best way to acquire beer. And I highly recommend doing that from Cooperage. And you can do that at cooperagebrewing.com today. All right. The week before the Super Bowl is kind of an odd week from a content perspective. You don't want to go way overboard with the previews because that's next week. So I wanted to talk to Evan about this year's 49ers team against the 2019 team that also went to the Super Bowl. Because on the surface, to me, it's like, man, these are really, really even. And I can't decide which one I would take. So Evan and I went position by position and broke down what, uh, what team we thought had the advantage and we eventually came to a conclusion that I was pretty satisfied with. So without further ado, here is Evan Giddings. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. seven the game host warriors this week he hosts some 49ers pregame stuff and honestly a delight to sit next to in a press box it was such a fun time at the at the nfc title game man i I had a blast first of all thanks for having me on secondly i was so elated because of course we 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 used to work together we have a great friendship and a great connection and i'm sitting down i'm seeing okay well who's in the section lucky enough to have a seat for an nfc championship game lo and behold Kyle Madsen is right next to Evan Giddings. I'm just like, this is meant to be. So I'm happy to, to hop on the pod, man, and talk about a game as well as a team uh, that we watched do something pretty damn incredible together. Yeah, and that's what I was I was talking about that with with my wife the next day. Is I, I feel like that was a moment that I got to share with everybody around me. Is that that was a the 49ers come back in the NFC title game, especially if they go on to win the Super Bowl, is going to be like an NFL history moment. Yeah, I've never point witnessed anything like that. And I'm pretty sure all the people that I've talked to that were at the game were just basically in decibel 10, 11, 12. Like they'd never heard Levi's Stadium that loud. Yeah. And you know, from being in the press box, it's supposed to be soundproof, but you could literally like feel the vibrations from everyone below on the IU catch, on the fumble, on the touchdown to tie the game. Like, that was the most electric I have ever seen a football stadium in my life. 
Yeah, it wasn't it, for with Levi Stadium. It wasn't even close for me. Like I'd been to some some fun games, but never anything like that. And then you go back and watch, like rewatch the TV copy, and it was so clear just how how loud it was, and it was just a, a really really cool thing. And the other the funniest part was just nobody really knowing what was going on, like the collective like d- what it was a seventeen point game and now it's tied. Oh, and the Niners have the ball in the third quarter. It was amazing. I'm really yeah. happy that that you were there with me for that. Back at you, man. It was a freaking avalanche because everyone was in the press box at halftime. I don't want to say despondent, but whether you were a fan or not, everyone I think was pretty confused. They're like, okay, what do we just witness? Like that was the first half waxing mm-hmm. and Detroit did whatever it wanted. And the 49ers were sitting there looking helpless. And then it's just bing, bang, boom. Like it all changed. I think uh, I think your buddy Nick Wagner put out the stat that like there'd been 114 teams in that spot before, but not one of them had been trailing by 17 at half and then had led or been tied by the time the fourth quarter started. Like it was just a freaking collapse. It was a comeback and it all happened in like two minutes of game time from them being down to tying the game. It was freaking incredible. Totally nuts. Um, And shout out to you, by the way, this is your first time on on Candlestick Chronicles. And you inadvertently did a bit, which is mentioning Nick Wagner, who is our favorite <laughs> cast member, and he gets a, a mention once a show. So thank you for getting that out of the way early. All right. So, no problem. <laughs> so no what, problem. We're, what we're going to do is compare the 2023 49ers to the 2019 49ers. And off the rip, I feel like they're probably pretty close. Like the the 2019 team was a little bit more out of nowhere. They had the great run to start the year. They dropped a couple of close ones late and then just kind of steamrolled through the playoffs. This team was expected to be good. They've struggled a little bit in the playoffs. But I, I feel like just initial thoughts for me, they feel very, very even, albeit a little bit different. Yeah, I think. Just because of recency bias, I felt like the 2023 team would be not heads and shoulders, but if I'm looking at the comparison, like clear cut better, but Mm -hmm. you're right. Like on paper, especially compared to the league and the year, the 2019 team was right on par. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of naturally you think, oh, well, they have a better defense, but the 2023 team has a better offense. No, actually the 2029 team averaged more points. Um, Mm -hmm the average of the defense in 2023 had a lower scoring defense and, you know, yeah. we could pick apart each and all the different roster and personnel spots. Uh, but, but you're right. Like these two teams are pretty much on par with each other. Obviously the wins would favor the team from 2019, but I guess it's just, it just has a different vibe. Like you have the same head coach, some similar players that have been there and done that. Um, but at face value, I think this is a really interesting conversation. I'm glad you, you kind of brought it up because you're right. Like you could dig into this 16 different ways. And I think it just kind of depends on your preference really between the two sides. Mm-hmm. Let's let's you mentioned position by position. Let's just do that. Let's let's make that the exercise here and we'll start under center. And I don't know that there's any real debate to be had here. <laughs> to me, Brock Purdy is Jimmy and, Garoppolo. And oh, <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you want to make the argument for Jimmy, I'm, I'm, I'm here to hear it. But, but the the biggest difference for me between between the two teams, and and honestly, one of the reasons I, I I didn't think the Niners were going to win in 2019 was because of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's the NFL. It's going to come down to can your quarterback make the couple of key throws to win, 
And I, we'd seen Garoppolo do that a couple of times, but not consistently enough to to think that he was going to do it against against the Chiefs. Whereas with Brock Purdy, like his, whether you think he's a market improvement over Jimmy Garoppolo or a little bit of an improvement over Jimmy Garoppolo, or or that they're about the same, just just a little bit uh, different stylistically. I think the stylistic differences give Purdy the edge just by themselves. That ability to create out of structure. We were talking about the NFC title game earlier. His his ability to create with his legs played played a huge role in that second half comeback. And that's why, you know, statistically and then and then just the eye test tell you that that Purdy's a better player. Yeah, no doubt. I think the biggest part to me is the mobility, uh, which also factors into the escapability, the, you know, the ability to kind of look downfield also just, I mean, just the feel like he looks like playing the position. He just has a better feel for it. And that's something that it does pass the eye test. I mean, statistically, I think people do tend to underrate what Jimmy Garoppolo did as a passer throughout the regular season. I mean, he was one of the most prolific passers in franchise history during the new millennia at that time. Mm -hmm. And looking back at his numbers, even I was surprised at some of the games that he had. But you're absolutely right. And especially, I think it comes down to the playoffs. The two are just not created equal. Like I saw a stat out there today that Brock Purdy has accounted for, I think it's like, 74 percent of the playoff yards yeah for the 49ers and jimmy garoppolo through the two games to the super bowl had accounted for like 24 oh, percent of the playoff yards so <laughs> clearly there, there's a large difference there and i think the paths to victory were also a lot different too jimmy g even though he had beaten like you talk about the quarterbacks well you, you could make the argument that okay he wasn't better than any of the two quarterbacks that they beat in the division round or the championship game to get there Kirk Cousins, whatever you think of him, markedly better than Garoppolo. And, of course, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers, he himself is obviously a better quarterback than Garoppolo, so he beat both of them. But the way that they did it was supremely different. And it's interesting, too, because the 49ers have a better running back than they did for those uh, two games and for that Super Bowl run. I know mm-hmm. it was more of a dual-headed, you know, Tevin Coleman and Raheem Moser type of deal. But Brock Purdy, they asked him to bail them out of a certain, of a couple of spots. I know he didn't play great overall in the green Bay game. You could even say in the first half of Detroit, he was below what his standard usually is, but I'm with you. It's just not very close. The quarterback position obviously swings in favor of Brock Purdy. And he even saw last year, the difference between Garoppolo and Purdy once he came in and started throwing up 30 points on the regs. So uh, that one is pretty well, pretty one-sided. Yeah. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. For, for somebody who's listening to this to just go, well, then this team is better because the quarterback is super important and that's just what it is. But I think there's a little more to it than that. So let's let's talk running backs. You mentioned the two-headed monster. And really, I I so I had forgotten about this a little bit because Raheem Mostert was so dominant toward the end of the year and, and particularly in the NFC Championship game running for 220-plus yards and, yeah. and four touchdowns. But he and Tevin Coleman both had 137 carries to lead the team. And combined, those two had fewer touches and fewer scrimmage yards and fewer touchdowns than Christian McCaffrey did this year. And I don't, I don't even think if you take, if you take just the collective backfields, I don't. I, I'm taking Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell over the Coleman, Mostert, Matt Breida trio, and I don't even feel like it's an <laughs> argument. Like yeah, anytime Christian McCaffrey is available, I would be happy to have him. <laughs> 
<laughs> in, in any season, in any season. But I, I think what Tevin Coleman and Raheem Moster did, you're right, goes a little bit under the radar because even in that that Minnesota game, I was looking at the box score and uh, Tevin Coleman racked up two tugs, was good on the ground, and that that wasn't yeah. a Raheem Moster game at all. I know that mm-hmm. the the championship game was, but the fact that you had those two options, like. I guess you could make a case that the running back room was more versatile, but when you're able to wrap the skill set of Christian McCaffrey as a three down back, a pass catcher, obviously a great runner, but then even the blocking that he can provide, it's really hard to to argue against not scooping up that guy. And, and of course, th- there's a reason why all year long people are having the conversation. You and I have even talked about this. Who's the real MVP of the 49ers? You know, is it Brock sure. Purdy? Is it Christian McCaffrey? Who's the most important player? Um, and I've said this before. I think McCaffrey is the fire starter, and then Brock Purdy is the fuel to the fire. Like once mm, things get going, Brock Purdy just amplifies all the good that the offense can do once the running game is opened up. So from that standpoint, it does start to start with McCaffrey, even though I think the quarterback position naturally is more important. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And I think you saw it in the NFC Championship game too, where the Niners didn't really get anything going offensively uh, on their first drive. And then their next series, they came out and threw it a couple of times to get Christian McCaffrey going. And then once McCaffrey got rolling was when uh, the rest of their offense opened up. And and you're right, they they their offense isn't, isn't right until McCaffrey starts rolling. Like they just don't, they can't maximize everything else else they're doing. So I love, I love that analogy of the the fire starter and the fuel. Uh, as far as dual threat running backs go, the 49ers trio of running backs in 2019, just to put a cap on this mm-hmm. 74 targets. Um, oops, hang on. Where's my notes? 74 targets, 40, 54 receptions, 480 yards and four touchdowns. That was what the three of them did combined. Christian McCaffrey this year, 67 <laughs> catches, 564 yards, and seven touchdowns by himself on 83 not targets. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, the, the running back gets uh, goes to uh, the 2023 team, too. And Kyle Juszczyk is, is just a gangster uh, on both teams, so he gets to... <laughs> He gets tied into both. Uh, but which version of use check is better? No, I don't. <laughs> we'll break it down next. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> I know we can um, have that conversation with a couple of players, though. Yeah, let's let's do let's do it with George Kittle right now uh, at at tight end. I, I think it's it's a wash as to as far as what's behind George Kittle, because I mean, frankly, the 49ers haven't haven't done a great job of of um, finding adequate pass catching tight ends at least to to put yeah. behind him. So in 2019, George Kittle was a pro bowler and an all pro 107 targets, 85 catches, 1053 yards, five touchdowns uh, this year is a pro bowler and an all pro just 90 targets, 65 catches, 1020 yards, six touchdowns. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll serve this one over to you first, which, which version of Kittle are you taking? I think I'm actually going to take the 2019 version of Kittle because I think he was more important to that offense. Not to say he's not just as good as he is as a pass catcher, but he was more important to that offense. And I think he also was more of 
it, it just due to how many weapons they have now in all pros, like he was more of the kind of representative. Like if you look at the faces of franchises in 2019, you could very easily make a case that George Kittle was the face of the 49ers. I know that Jimmy Garoppolo is the prettier face, but Kittle was a lot of <laughs> the, the heart and soul of the team. Now yeah. here in 2023, just because of how many other guys there are on the field, I mean, George Kittle can beat you in the passing game. He also can help you more as a blocker. I just feel like because of the lack of weapons, or not lack, but compared to now, the lack of weapons on 2019, I like that version of him. Yeah, yeah, and he was he was definitely a little more explosive then. I know the yards per catch and stuff won't necessarily bear that out. He averaged more yards per reception this year. But the numbers that I read off for 2019, he did that in 14 games. And he missed a he missed a couple of games in the in the in the in the middle of the year, but in 2019, and again, like you said, the weapons were different. There's no Brandon Ayuk. There's no Christian McCaffrey. George Kittle was option A in their yeah. in their passing attack. He had um, eight games with eight or more targets. One game with ten, and one game with seventeen. Uh, in 2019, this year he had four games of eight or more targets. One with ten. One with eleven. He was just such a more a, a more uh, go to weapon for them, and I think that's partly because of necessity. But I also think, and he's thirty now. There's a lot of miles on his body. Uh, he's still an animal, obviously, but I will take the younger version um, because it's not like he's now a good blocker and then he wasn't, or yeah. he's now a, a good pass catcher and then he wasn't. So I will. I, I'm I'm rocking with you. I will take 2019 Kittle in a in a close one. I guess. Yeah, and he's, he's still a really damn good blocker. I mean, what we saw him pancake Aiden Hutchinson in the NFC Championship. Like it's it's not like this guy <laughs> can't put his fingers in the dirt and get after a lineman. So yeah, um, I thought for sure after after 2019, actually in 2020, he played eight games and goes 634 yards. 2021, 14 games, 910. 2022, 15 games, 765 yards. I just been kind of saying like he's done being a thousand yard receiver. They they have to stop relying so much on George Kittle. And lo and behold, this year he goes 65 catches for, for 1,020 yards and six tuds. And last year went for 11 touchdowns, uh, a career high in his first year in, do in double digits. So, uh, I mean, a little bit different version of him, but but still super effective. And if somebody wants to wants to make the argument that, that they'll take 2023, I'm, I'm not going to push back too hard on it. Yeah, I think it's kind of what we went back to, the difference at the quarterback position. That's why you're seeing maybe a more efficient uh, route runner yards per touch is, is a little bit more, but I, I actually, I did think that because of Brock Purdy, that Kittle had another thousand yard year in him. Hmm. Um, but I also was curious as to how many games he would play. I know as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little more banged up. Right. I guess he did technically start the season injured and then only missed a game. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like that the younger Kittle was more of a key, to that offense and unlocking an aerial attack that also was clearly limited or more limited at the quarterback position, mm -hmm. but he's, he's still got it, man. I mean, yeah. George Kittle is, especially in a year where tight ends have kind of either taken a dip or there's been a lot of injuries. Mm -hmm. You could easily make the case that he from beginning to end of season was the best tight end in the league this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. Especially with Travis Kelsey having a down year. Now he's got to do it in the postseason, though. Not <laughs> been, not been great in the playoffs in his career. And uh, they could they could certainly use him this season. Let's talk wide receivers. So, 2019, the Emmanuel Sanders edition 
in, mm. I think it was week seven, was just massive. Like it really unlocked their offense in a way that they weren't that they weren't going to, with uh, like Kendrick Bourne being their wide receiver too, or or um, got I don't even Marquise Marquise Goodwin was on that team. Dante Pettis, like Emmanuel Sanders, was a necessity for them to get to the Super Bowl, and I want to make sure that's very clear. Um, and even with San Francisco, he went thirty six catches, five hundred and two yards, three touchdowns in ten games, and, and of course got open for that big shot in the Super Bowl, and and Garoppolo didn't connect. But I don't think there's any question this version of Debo Samuel is better than rookie year Debo Samuel. Uh, this version of Brandon Ayuk is better than than Emmanuel Sanders. I like Kendrick Bourne a lot. I think I'm taking Juwan Jennings over over Kendrick Bourne. I, I I just I don't I don't know that there's a receiver on that team that when you match them up like one through four, one through five, or whatever that I'm taking over a 2023 receiver. Yeah, I think this one is also a pretty clear cut, but I'm glad you brought up Emmanuel Sanders because that was an offense that was in need of not just, I guess, a traditional number one, even though Debo was on the team, he was a rookie. He wasn't quite the player that he is now, nor is he as versatile or used as versatile um, in a versatile manner as he was back then. Uh, But Emmanuel Sanders had a pretty big game. If I recall in the new Orleans shootout, right. Yes. He had like a buck 50 and a touchdown. And that mm-hmm. was a game that you ended up needing in order to, to help get the one seat. So, you know, every single win was important in that season. I know he didn't have a, a ton of yards in the playoffs, but of course, as we described, that's because they were mainly run first. And then who knows mm-hmm. if he hits him in the super bowl, the line looks a lot, a lot different. So yeah, Emmanuel Sanders does get a bit underrated in this, but it's just it's just not close at the wide receiving position because Debo already has a first-team All-Pro season under his belt. He's used much differently than he was then, and mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk is clearly a stud in just about every category. I know that he might not have as, mon- as many of the numbers as other number ones out there, but mm-hmm. he's going to get paid this offseason, I believe, by San Francisco, and it's because he might be a lot like Brock Purdy is – the most efficient quarterback in the NFL. Brandon Ayuk might be the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL. If you yeah. take a look at amount of targets, yards per touch, first downs, just yep. big situations, he's fantastic. And then I'm also glad you mentioned Jawan Jennings because you can make a case that in addition to Ayuk's, you know, the, the fluke to Ayuk or the immaculate mm-hmm. deflection or whatever people are calling it nowadays, uh, Jawan <laughs> Jennings had two of the biggest catches in the entire postseason with the big throw from Purdy in the Green Bay game during that final drive over the middle. Mm. And then, of course, the one-handed catch uh, against Detroit that was along the drive. I think that got them the three points out of half, the biggest yeah. three-yard catch of the game. So yeah. he's made some big plays for sure and and is a big reason why this receiving core is as dangerous as it is. And he's just a just – a excellent blocker as well like they can they can run him in like a tight end him as, and i blocker yeah yeah definitely Ayuk's run blocking has just gotten out of control he's so good and then with Ayuk too when you look at all the like the peripheral like separation stats and all that jazz like he's he's right there at the top he is open all the freaking time yeah yeah uh <laughs> it's funny i remember debo samuel in in his rookie year goes 14 carries he went 14 attempts 159 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> this is wow. 
and then just watching Never the evolution seen of him like as a runner. <laughs> yeah, watching the evolution of him as a runner is really funny to to kind of think back on. Wait, well, uh, one second. I, I do have a theory on why Ayuk is so hard, number one, to guard, but also why he's such a great blocker. And on. it's because of how freaking long his arms are. Like mm. anytime you have a wide receiver that is basically a, I think he's he's like six foot, six foot one. Mm-hmm. But it looks like he's got like a six ten wingspan almost. Yeah. Any you, you can't jam him like any if you look at any DB they plays press you can't jam him because he's immediately with his hands on the defensive back before the guy can get to him. Conversely, in the blocking game, it also helps because he can grab someone that's further away from them than they are from him, and it just feels like you know you kind of. You've seen him down on the field, whether it's pregame or out back in the locker room. You stand next to him, and it's like this guy has the longest gangly arms in the world, yeah. and he knows how to use them. So yeah, yeah, and there's just a tenacity to that on top of the on top of what you mentioned with the arm length. I think that's a really good point. Offensive line, I've got to push. Hmm. I think I think I see what Trump- you did there. I <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose, but thanks. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think Trent Williams is probably is is better than Joe Staley. Not that Joe Staley was bad, but but Trent Williams is is one of the two or three best to to ever do it at that position. And then I think maybe across the line, the Niners might have been a little bit a little better in in nineteen. Maybe McGlinchey was was a little bit better than than Colton McKivitz. But I, I feel like it's mostly it's mostly a wash because if nineteen is better at at left guard through right tackle, I think Williams makes up for that difference with his advantage over Staley. Mm. So I'm calling it a push. I'm not choosing one. What do you give me for this? Because of the, I guess, statuesque nature of Jimmy Garoppolo. And his inability to move freely in the pocket. I know they were much more of like a quick passing offense. The ball comes out. Like I think, I think if I was looking at the numbers correctly, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh no, actually I was wrong. I, th- I thought that Brock Purdy would have been sacked more than Jimmy G just because he extends plays. Uh, mm-hmm. But Jimmy G was actually sacked eight more times that season than Brock Purdy was in the same amount of games because Brock didn't play in Week 18. Right. But I feel like the job with Jimmy Garoppolo under center is more difficult as an offensive lineman (laughs) than Brock Purdy. So if it's a push, I would tend to lean a little more towards 2019, even though you're right, they don't have the hall of famer and Trent Williams. Uh, But I think they were probably a little more even throughout the rest of the offensive line. Mm. They're a little bit better on the interior as well as the right tackle position. Um, But I I think just because of the task of guarding uh, for a quarterback that doesn't really move a whole lot and in fact can get happy feet i feel like it's probably harder to block for garoppolo than purdy so i'll I'll lean 2019 slightly (laughs) uh yeah i i jotted down 19 just because i feel like i have to pick if we're going to do this exercise and i i think you you hit the nail on the head there i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and agree although it's really tough if you're like trent williams and four dudes (laughs) it gets really it's really hard to pick against but i will i will I will ride with you on this and take the 2019 offensive line in a in a close one. Yeah. All right, let's hit a quick break for the podcast and then we will uh, jump over to the defensive side. 
Hey, it's Kyle Madsen with Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and I'm here to talk to you about my new favorite thing about football season, and that's prize picks. It's Daily Fantasy Sports, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's easy, exciting, and that's my two favorite things to have in daily fantasy football. It's There's quick withdrawals. It's easy gameplay. There's so many selections of players and stat types that make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. And I know you're probably worried about like daily fantasy sports. Oh, there's pros and there's sharks and there's all these people that dedicate their lives to just winning a daily fantasy. Well, no, no, no. This is just you. You pick more than or less than on two to six players to create an entry. And those two to six players, you pick more than or less than on their stat projections. And then you watch the winnings roll in. It is so easy, and PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. There's like Taco Tuesday, where every Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25%. That gives you even more value. And my very favorite part of all of this, PrizePix offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. So go to prizepix.com slash candlestick and use code candlestick for a first deposit match up to $100. Go to prizepicks.com slash candlestick and use code candlestick for a first deposit match up to $100. You can jump in and get Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, George Kittle. Slam the more than and root like heck for those guys to go more than those projections. It's, I'm telling you, it's the very best way to consume football. So prizepicks.com slash candlestick and use code candlestick for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yo, it's your homies Kyle and Chris for Lamb Chops. SGLambchops.com is the website. They are the official clothing brand of Candlestick Chronicles. And follow them on Instagram at SGLambchops. Because they have some really cool looking stuff that your bland ass boy over here is not very good at styling on his own. And so I pop over to the Instagram. I see how other people are are dressing themselves in uh, maybe it's the maybe it's the wolf shorts or the lion shorts or maybe it's a pair of joggers or maybe it's the ash gray hoodie that you and I love so much. And I, I base my outfits off of that and it always makes me look dope, which is the single most important thing. And it's also comfortable. It's also high quality. Yeah. It's super stylish. They're conversation starters, honestly. They also have kids, uh, kid sizes on here too. Yes, that and is everything's correct. unisex. Uh, yeah. We we should point out also. So, um, no matter if you're a man or woman, these clothes will look great on you, or a child, or a child. They have children's sizes and a lot of their <laughs> stuff as well. Use promo code CANDLESTICK20 today to get 20% off your order, or you can do it tomorrow or whenever. CANDLESTICK20 is a promo code any day of the week to get 20% off your order from sglambchops.com. Shout out to them. We really appreciate their support, and uh, we would appreciate it if you support them by going to sglambchops.com and ordering some dope, comfortable, high-quality clothing. Join the herd today. All right. The way I do this, I don't know. I've... Everybody, I feel like, does these differently when they go to the other side of the ball. I just start in the trenches on the other side since that's where we finished. Yeah. So, on the defensive line, I don't... I, Man. Boy. I don't, I don't know if it's that, that close. I, I, I'm riding with the, with the 2019 team and feeling great about it. it. Nick Bosa, granted, rookie year Nick Bosa, but still dominant and the best player in the Super Bowl... 
Uh, DeForest Buckner was was awesome. Eric Armstead led the team in sacks that year. D Ford, when he was on the field, particularly in the playoffs, uh, the things they could do with him off the edge just made the 49ers really, really difficult to block. And they just don't have they don't have that D Ford this year. They don't they don't have that consistent presence like DeForest Buckner. And I know Javon Hargrave was supposed to be that guy, but not as good of a run blocker, hasn't been as consistent as a as a pass rusher. Um so I'm going with the 2019 defensive line and and I feel good about it. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think that a big part of this, and I know it's an entire defense stat, but uh, just kind of comparing contrasting numbers, the 2019 team also got off the field, like on third downs. Mm, and I think yeah. a big reason for that is how dominant they were in the trenches. They were better against the run. They were better, I think, at getting to the quarterback more consistently. The weird thing about it is that 2019 team, I know Buckner's probably the biggest difference up front, but you can make a case that the 2023 team has more star power, like more bigger names, especially after the addition of Chase Young, but they have not been as good. And I wonder how much Robert Sala played into that as opposed to now Steve Wilkes, but I'm with you. The, the, The production clearly points to the team five years ago, even though Nick Bosa might be a better player. um, I thought he probably had more of a motor in his rookie season. And then Mm -hmm. the two guys at the defensive tackle positions are the biggest difference to me. Uh, Buckner along with, you know, Armstead now, but it just watching this defensive line and watching them get pushed around. I don't think I ever saw that 2019 team get pushed around as frequently as this team does, even though they might have more quote unquote, you know, pro bowl or all pro type talent. Yeah. They know that, that if you just dropped the 2019 defensive line into the NFC title game, the lions aren't running like that. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're not man. And so much like so much of what the 49ers were able to do on, on run defense this year had to do with game script. So much of it was, yeah, they're just bludgeoning the other team with their offense. And so it's pass, pass, pass the rest of the way. And the opposing offense has to pack in its running game or else they're not going to be able to keep up. And I yeah. think that's that I think that has a lot to do with some of the metrics in the in on the ground. And I think you've seen that exposed a little bit in the playoffs with Aaron Jones and and then the the Lions two headed monster at, at running back. Granted, Jameer Gibbs had a rough second half after that fumble. Uh, I don't think he had another touch, but David Montgomery was really good. You saw what Jamison Williams did on the on the forty two yard touchdown run. I just don't see that happening against 2019 uh, defensive line. And to your point on the third downs, the 2019 team, 33.3% on third downs. That that was the conversion rate for opposing offenses. That was the second best mark in the league. Uh, this season, 40.9%. That was 24th in the NFL. Yeah. And yeah, third down is the money really down. Good. That's what I always <laughs> said. That's what they're calling it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think also, too, the depth on the defensive line in 2019 was better, partially because you do have a lot more higher paid guys on this year's team. And so you don't have room for, you know, it was a DJ Jones. You don't have room for um, even Solomon Thomas, who, you know, was was a higher pick. But it just felt like there were more rotating options that you trusted as opposed to, Sebastian Joseph Day and even Cleveland Furl, who's been decent through this season, but he hasn't been available in the playoffs. The depth mm-hmm. on that team, I think, was also better in addition to their frontline guys. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point too. And like Solomon Thomas, you know, as 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 much as he didn't work out as the number three overall pick, he was a he was a fine rotational player. Yeah, 
And if if that's a if you're getting that out of a fifth round pick, it's great. But again, like he didn't meet expectations for a number three pick, but he's fine. Sheldon Day, I was really good for them that year. So I'm I'm with you, man. They've they've really struggled to find uh, that same depth along the defensive line, and I, I I'm I'm very comfortable taking the 19 team there. Uh, what about linebackers? I think I lean 19 Ooh. here too. I think if I, I, I Dre Greenlaw was a rookie. And Fred Warner was in year two, but Warner was still excellent. Dre Greenlaw was was good his rookie year, and then I'll take I'll take Quan Alexander as a third linebacker. That version of Quan Alexander. And granted, he got hurt. I think on Halloween. I think it was at week nine or ten down there in Arizona. But I'll take I'll take that trio over Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw now, and then your various Oren Burks and Demetrius Flanagan Fowles and and those guys. Yeah. Again, I think the biggest difference is the depth or the amount of players that you trust. Like I think that, and probably why I would take the 2023 linebacking core is just because I think this is a better version of Fred Warner and a better version of Dre Greenlaw. But if you're asking me if one of those players has to come off the field or, you know, Dre Greenlaw, for example, had a stinger against Detroit, like you're bringing in Oren Burks as opposed to, Quan Alexander being your third linebacker, a primary linebacker, they, they were right. much more uh, switchable and versatile in 2019. So I think, again, it, it points to the the top heaviness of this year's team, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, as mm. opposed to the 2019 team. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that those guys are, are going to be on the field. I like Fred now, although I'd have to go check. I, even though it was a second season, I bet that he missed fewer tackles in 2019 than he did this year, which, which has been kind of under the radar. Um, but I think this is a better version of Dre Greenlaw. So those two main guys, I think, are a better version this season than five years ago. But, I mean, you're right. The combination of Quan is, is tough, to, tough to battle against. Yeah, I guess, yeah, Greenlaw is, is probably pretty significantly better now than he was let's see year two again they were were 23 and 22 years old like the fact that they were in those type of games is probably why we see them as good as they are now like they got that experience and we're already playing at a a very high level they're getting more recognition than they are now when it comes to pro bowls and all pros and all of that but it's because of what they did really that season uh when they made the run to the super bowl you know what you swung me on this i had 19 written down i'm leaning 23 now um, I think what I did in my head was I took Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw as they are now and plugged them in. Uh, but but you're right. Greenlaw is significantly better. Fred Warner, as good as he was in 19, is, is a better player now. Uh, and and I think that's a significant enough delta that, that Quan Alexander and Aziz Alshire as the backups don't make up for it. Those are really good players, yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I think this the the top heaviness at that spot to me is enough. What about cornerback? Ooh, I don't know where I'm going with, on this one. Like Richard Sherman was obviously awesome in 2019, and I don't want to take away from that. He was a he was a Pro Bowler, he's a second team All Pro, but he got torched in the Super Bowl. Yep. And then finding finding that other that other corner, Emmanuel Mosley. Uh, was was really good filling in for Akella Witherspoon after Witherspoon got got benched in the in the divisional playoffs when he got torched by Stephon Diggs, uh, but I mean, Emmanuel Mosley was was fine. He wasn't he wasn't incredible by by any means. Um, 
Quan, uh, not Quan Alexander, but Kwan Williams was was in the mm-hmm. slot. I'm, I I think I'd probably take Kwan over over Diomedo Lenore. Um, but man, Traverius Ward, as good as he was this year, and and as good as Diomedo Lenore was, it's a little bit of a toss up, I think. But I think I'm going 19. I, I think I'm taking the one with Richard Sherman. I, I think I'm with you too, and I think as a cover corner. At this point in his career, Charverius Ward is probably better, in my opinion, than Sherman was that season. Like Sherman might be a Hall of Famer, and he's clearly a better corner overall. But for that season, as a number one, I feel very confident in Charverius Ward matching up with, for example, anyone on the opposite side this year for the Chiefs. There's probably a tougher cover in that year, and Tyreek Hill, obviously, uh, a younger Kelsey. But... I think I'm with you on 2019 just because of, of the other two spots, so the, the slot and the secondary corner. Lenore has been a lot better than I thought he was going to be this season, um, especially having moved around. But but Ambry Thomas is not someone I necessarily trust. You know, you look at the the 2019 team and, you know, Emmanuel Mosley, Akella Witherspoon, I think, was also in there in addition to, to Kwan mm-hmm. Williams. You know, th- those guys could hold their own. And I just think as a group, that cornerback room was slightly better. I think they were also a bit better against um, the pass as a whole. You know, mm-hmm. they were number one in terms of total passing yards allowed, number one net yards attempt against defensively as opposed to this team, which was also pretty good, um, mm-hmm. but certainly not in the same echelon. You know, 14th in total yards, fifth in net yards per attempt. So again, there's still a top five unit, uh, but I think that mainly has to do with Ward as opposed to the rest of the team, the rest of the I'd, group. I'd love to see, I would love to see this year's cornerback group behind the 2019 defensive line that's a good point because that defensive front getting home as quick as they did makes life so easy on a secondary and that was the whole point of the Niners team building philosophy right is you get home you affect the quarterback and your corners don't have to be as good because they don't have to cover for as long I would be really fascinated to see what Ambry Thomas looks like in a in an environment where uh the defensive line is affecting quarterbacks like that one did because I think I think I think Thomas is a good player you just like you just don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, also imagine how scary Traveris Ward would be if he only had to cover for like two and a half oh, seconds man. as opposed to three and a half or had to run with guys. I mean, man. not a lot of balls being completed there. No, that's a really good point. It's safety, I'm, go- mm. Th- I'm this, going... This one's tough. This one's tough. Yeah, because Jimmy Ward was, was, good in, was good in 19. For sure. And Jaquaski Tart is a, a, a fine player and a good player. If it was, it, I, I think I've, I'm going 19 because I'll take, I'll take Jimmy Ward over any, any safety that, that healthy or not between the two teams. I'm taking Jimmy Ward first. Mm-hmm. And maybe I take Talano Hufanga second, but he's been hurt since week 11. So I'm not really factoring him in. And then I think I'm taking Chikwaski Tart over Tayshawn Gibson. And I haven't seen enough of Jair Brown to confidently say I'm taking him over over Tart. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the 2019 safeties with the caveat that it's more because of the Talano Hufanga injury and not knowing really what we're gonna get from from Jair Brown. Uh, so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with 19. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's the biggest point. And he kind of took the words out of my mouth. I think I would lean 2023 if Talanoa Hufanga had played the entire year because I think he's a damn good safety and you're yeah. getting first team all pro, second team all, to, all pro type of production. But unfortunately, he didn't get to play the entire season because of an injury. So looking up and down the roster, I think it's really hard to not say 2019. Also, Jimmy Ward's leadership, I think at that time was huge for a pretty young team that not a lot of people saw making the run that they did at the beginning of the year. So having that type of dog and leader in the locker room, I think was huge for that team. Um, I mean, Fred was, he's a natural leader, but he was only in his second season. Nick Bosa leads by example, but he's a rookie. You know, you could make the case that the captain of that defense as a, a veteran member was, was Jimmy Ward. I'm mm-hmm. not sure they have that this year outside of Gibson. And that's more because of process of elimination. So from yeah. that standpoint too, I also think 2019 is, is the group. The other, the other thing that 2019 could do was put Tavarius Moore on the field as a third safety wrinkle in the Super Bowl and have him intercept Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I don't, I don't think George Odom's gonna, gonna make a, make an appearance or, but you know, is Traverius more the around. guy on kickoffs that is screaming at the crowd and the opposing fans like George Odom is every single time the ball flies through the end zone? Hey, you know what? No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> um, and then what about hmm, what about what about coaching? I'm definitely this, taking like Bob this. Sala over Steve Wilkes. Mm-hmm. But are you taking that version of Kyle Shanahan or this one? I'm taking and are they version. different? Are they that different? I think that's the bigger question. Like I, I'm taking this version of Kyle Shanahan because I think he is allowed to be more creative just because of the personnel on that side of the ball. But I kind of think he's the same guy. Like it feels, it feels like it. it. I don't think he's changed much at all, and we've seen that. I mean, again, I know this isn't a Super Bowl preview show, but but that might be one of my biggest concerns from a coaching yeah. standpoint is how much has Kyle Shanahan grown mm-hmm. as an in-game play caller and decision maker compared to Andy Reid? And I don't think that from 2019 until now, you can say that Kyle Shanahan has evolved all that much. And if there's some evidence, I'd love to hear it. But I think there's more evidence on the opposite side that Andy Reid, even with a Super mm-hmm. Bowl, now two Super Bowls, has grown more in game. I mean, because what timeouts were a big issue for him when he was kind of early on in Kansas City and even back to Philadelphia. Like I think Andy Reid has yeah. gotten more mature as a head coach than than Kyle Shanahan. You know, he also got Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's that's helpful, and that's where that's where I think we'll learn a lot with with Shanahan in this in this Super Bowl because your Tra- Traverius Ward talked about it on Eric Armstead's podcast. And I wish I could remember the name because those those guys are awesome over there and they always send clips and stuff. But um, on Eric Armstead's podcast, he talked about how like the Chiefs wanted were were hoping the 49ers would stop running the football in the Super Bowl. Yep. And that they were baffled that they stopped running it in the second half. And that's where I'm interested to see this year is is does he learn from that? If the Chiefs come out uh, like they did against the Ravens and run a ton of dime, are, are the Niners going to put the ball on the ground and say, hey, this is a Christian McCaffrey game, and even if even if they're down 13-3, uh, to 3, is it still going to be Christian McCaffrey? Are they still going to try and get that ground game going? Or is it panic time, got to get aggressive, throw, throw, throw? Mm-hmm. 
and that's that's where I think we'll see the real growth with him as a coach. Yeah, I guess I'm a little apprehensive because, yes, the quarterback is clearly a, a reason to have more or less confidence. But mm-hmm. I'd imagine that Kyle Shanahan, and by his own actions, you can tell, like he has more confidence in Brock Purdy yeah. as a thrower of the football than Jimmy Garoppolo. And yet I still, in the divisional round game, saw Kyle Shanahan turtle up a little bit. Now, Brock Purdy wasn't playing very well in the first half, and maybe that's the reason why at the tail end of the second quarter you didn't see him get aggressive. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't that be the situation in which you do trust your quarterback? And I know yeah. he did on the final drive, but I think that's kind of because they had to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious to see if a situation arises again in which Kyle Shanahan can quote-unquote lap the Kansas City Chiefs, oh boy. How, <laughs> how he decides to lap it, if he decides to run on the outside lane like he did against Green Bay, or if he decides to try and you know sneak in and kind of cut someone off at the pass on the inside lane like everyone has hoping is hoping that he can do because you got a very different quarterback back there. So yeah. I, I'm with you. I think we're going to find out a lot in the Super Bowl about Shanahan and his maturity. So by through this exercise... We did five, nine, 11 uh, categories between the positions and head coach and, and DC. Oh, I'm oh, glad someone's teams, tracking this. I'm not <laughs> a sp- on, on special teams. I'm taking Robbie Goldman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, 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 uh, that's where I'm riding. Oh, you mean uh, you so don't want to, you don't want a rookie kicker in the, in the Super Bowl compared to a guy that has literally never missed in the postseason. Yeah, no, no, I think I'm leaning that way. The, all of that said though. So we did 12 now. We have seven for 2019 and five for 2020 or 2023. Interesting. However, the ones that go to 2019 are George Kittle, the the tight end, which we decided is, you know, six, one half dozen of the other, but you'll take the younger version. Offensive line, kind of a wash, but lean 2019. Um, Defensive line, I think pretty clear 19. Cornerback, we talked about that a lot, is 19, though. Um, safety, you go 19, but but how, how much of a difference is there? I think I still lean, after we talk all this out, and despite having more checks for the, for the 2019 team than 23, I think the quarterback play is different enough and everything else is close enough that I'm still taking the 2023 team because of the improvement that Brock Purdy offers over Jimmy Garoppolo, because I, at, at, at the end of, of at the end of the season, you want your quarterback to be able to make a play no matter how good your defense is in the NFL. Now your quarterback just has to make a play at some point. And to me, I'm, I'm trusting Brock Purdy to do that first and foremost. Yeah, I'm leaning 2023 too. Also because you look at the rest of the, I don't want to say more impactful positions, but you know, if you have a weaker cornerback group, for example, to your point, if the defensive line plays better, they can cover up for that a little bit. It helps your secondary mm-hmm. out. I think the linebackers being a little bit better in this year's team are able to make up for a couple of the deficiencies in the run game that this defensive line has. I think it just is a more complimentary team as a whole. And then, of course, offensively, you have way more playmakers. And as we've seen in recent games, I mean, the only Super Bowl that I can recall that was, quote-unquote, a defensive rock fight was, I think, the 2018 Super Bowl between the Rams and the Patriots. Like, every other game has been, okay, who's got the ball last? 
make or break, go out, get me a score. And I think this offense, I trust to go down and get points when they need them to, as opposed to that team. Mm -hmm. Also having Christian McCaffrey is a huge difference maker as far as setting the tone on the ground. So in a, in a modern game in which you need not a prolific offense necessarily, but you need one that you trust. I think it's very easy to look at both of these teams in 2019 and 2023 and say the 2023 team and that offense is one that you trust more than the one led by Jimmy Garoppolo. Bang, we've solved it. The debate can end now. We did it right here on Wednesday, January 31st. Kyle Madsen, I think we've done it. Thank you, everybody. The 2023 team is the better option uh, between the two. But again, both really good and... and uh, yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, this can be decided if they win the Super Bowl or not. Like if they win the Super Bowl, that deads any any kind of conversation uh, fully because that's, I think, so much of of when we talk about these things, we forget how much winning actually like matters and is the point of the sport. We get so caught up in who's better than who and this stat and that stat, and it's like, dude, like when it all comes down to it, it's who's hoisting the the trophy at the end of the year. Hundred percent. To the winner go the spoils. All right, dude, this has been great. We took way more of your time than I thought we were going to. Thank you for for hanging out. Uh, we will do it again for sure. And again, you can catch Evan on 95.7 The Game. Uh, Steiny and Guru, he is in there a ton uh, from 10 to 2 on 95.7 FM. And of course, the free Odyssey app. It's there as well. And we got these, he's got these reads down in, in Warriors this week uh, and 49ers pregame shows as well. Um, tap into 95.7 and, and listen to Evan. Thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. That was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, take my time anytime, whether it's in the press box at an NFC championship, <laughs> whether it's on the pod on the Candlestick Chronicles. I'm very happy to be on here for the first time, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. My man, appreciate it. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Or, of course, just search Candlestick Chronicles, and we pop up right there. Please subscribe to the channel. Uh, like the videos you watch. That helps us so much. It gets us up into the the almighty algorithm and gets our video uh, in front of eyeballs, and that helps us out immensely. So uh, please do that if if uh, you're on YouTube, or even if you're not, maybe become a YouTube person and and start with Candlestick Chronicles. Will be your will be your gateway into that. And then of course subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's uh, it's Super Bowl time, man. If you have friends who are Niner fans who don't listen to the pod, uh, tell them about it. I was in an elevator the other day and a Niners employee got on and he thought I was with the Lions because of my credential. It had blue on it. And I was like, no, man, I'm a, I'm a Niners guy. And he's like, oh, and I'm like, and I went, dude, Candlestick Chronicles, tap in. So hopefully he tapped in. And, and if he did, hopefully he told his friends and hopefully you do the same thing. So I really appreciate everybody listening, everybody subscribing, rating, reviewing. Um, it, it means a ton to us. So uh, for Chris Biederman and Evan Gittingham, Kyle Madsen, and we'll talk to you next time.